Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming out on this cold night. Appreciate your being with us again this evening. It's been a number of weeks since we've been uh, able to gather on a Sunday night and be in the book Revelation. So, welcome back. And uh, we are in the study of the churches, coming to a conclusion of that particular portion of Revelation and moving into the other sections. Tonight we look at the church at Laodicea. If you remember, there are certain characteristics in common as we look at the churches. And one of those common characteristics is that Jesus is described to the church from the application of the revelation, the vision that is given in Revelation chapter 1. And so tonight, Jesus is described in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse, verse 14, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So Revelation 1.14 says, John of the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you in peace from him who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. And so, obviously, these are words from Christ, and he is described as the faithful witness. And I have been emphasizing that uh, each of these descriptions of Christ are uniquely associated with a particular condition that the church is in. And so here, Jesus Christ is described as the faithful witness because of the indifference of the church of Revelation to his word. Uh, the fact that they do not take the word of God seriously and so here is the emphasis that what Jesus says is true, it's reliable, it's faithful, you can take it to the bank. And so you need to rely upon it. And what he says to this church, of course, is somewhat startling. And then secondly, he is the risen conquering Lord. Uh, Revelation 3.14, the beginning of God's creation. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, in keeping with Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. So number two, the negative assessment of the church. He says, I know your works. That is a common statement to all of the churches. He knows what they're about. He knows what they're doing. He knows what's on their heart and minds. And he says this, you are neither cold nor hot. So their condition, <clears throat> you are neither cold nor hot. Number one, to be cold is to be icy cold. It's a word for frigid, all right? They are extremely, uh, you are neither extremely cold, nor are you boiling hot. So the word for hot is, in fact, boiling, uh, to be exceedingly hot. They are not exceedingly cold and they are not exceedingly hot. To be cold is to be actively opposed to the gospel. That might even include 
those that are persecutors of the church, those that are extremely antagonistic to the word of God. They would be those that are icy cold. To be hot is to be actively adhering to and disseminating the gospel of Christ. They are on fire, as it were, for the Lord. Those people that are dedicated <coughs> to Christ and the dissemination of the gospel. But they are neither. That is, they are lukewarm. Uh, to be lukewarm is to be noncommittal, indifferent, apathetic to the things of God. Uh, so they're not particularly opposed to the things of God, nor are they particularly promoting the things of God. They have a noncommittal attitude. They are apathetic. So now we have Christ's lament. For he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you're either cold or hot. So now we find out that Christ would prefer that they would be either cold or hot as opposed to lukewarm. Uh, so lukewarm is the worst thing you can be. Better to be cold or to be hot. Hey, that is not to say that being spiritually cold is just as good as being spiritually hot. We're not to equate those two. We're not to say, well, it doesn't matter if you're spiritually cold or spiritually hot. That's not the point. What he is saying, uh, so B, certainly it's better to be spiritually hot as opposed to being spiritually cold. Rather, the emphasis is that to be spiritually lukewarm is even worse than being spiritually cold. All right? So their condition was the worst condition you could be in. Better to be cold than lukewarm. Better still to be hot. So he would rather they be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. Number two, how could Christ say that being cold is preferable to being lukewarm. Leon Morris presents a common answer to this dilemma. View one, the deeds of this church are summed up in the accusation you are neither cold nor hot. The imagery may be derived from the water supply of the city, which appears to have been drawn from hot springs at some distance so that it arrived at the city lukewarm. This forms a contrast with a hot springs at nearby Heropolis, and the cold, refreshing water at Colossae. Hot water heals, cold water refreshes, but lukewarm water is useless for either purpose and can serve only as an anemic, <coughs> anemic <coughs> excuse me, you too. Alternatively, the words may mean that the Christianity of this church was lukewarm when the meaning would be outright denial is better than phony piety or to prefer a rejection of the faith to the way the Laodiceans professed it is startling to say the least, all right? That is startling, to think that he'd rather that they would be cold or maybe even persecuting the church rather than just to be apathetic and indifferent. But to profess Christianity while remaining untouched by its fire is a disaster. There is more hope for the openly antagonistic than for the coolly indifferent. There is no one farther from the truth in Christ than the one who makes an idle profession without real faith. That comes from Walvert. I think that is so true. The most spiritually perilous condition 
is to know the truth and to be indifferent towards it. To know what the Word of God says, to know the gospel, to be exposed to it, to be able to express what it is and be able to explain it, but to be indifferent to it, that's worse than being opposed to it. Uh, and certainly we can think of the wonderful transforming change that took place in the Apostle Paul. Remember, he was a persecutor of the church, and on the road to Damascus, he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is a very perilous condition to be indifferent to the gospel, having heard it repeatedly. And then C, I would also assert that being lukewarm is a greater detriment to the church than persecution. Okay, The greatest danger to the church is not persecution. It's not the hardships that would come against us. In fact, persecution tends to purify the church. Persecution tends to promote godliness. Um, those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecution, though none of us likes to experience, is actually a purifying fire for the church. The most detrimental element to the church is apathy. To have a church filled with people that really don't care, that are just indifferent to the things of God, who are Christians in name only. That is not only dangerous to them, but it's dangerous to our corporate uh, testimony as a people of God. And I would submit to you that, that uh, it pretty well characterizes the state of the church in the United States today, when we have so many people that profess faith in Christ, but are at best apathetic to spiritual things, indifferent, <laughs> could care less about doctrine or truth or, or purity or godly living. And so the warning is a very real warning uh, to, I think, the, the church in America. D, to be lukewarm is also the greatest disgrace that can be brought against Christ. Uh, it's dishonoring to him. So now we have Christ's rejection. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The word spit is literally to vomit. Leviticus 18.25, and the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. It's more than just a person who takes a, a, a drink of, of lukewarm water and, you know, I think we've all probably done that at certain water fountains from time to time. We're hot, we go to a water fountain and uh, the water is lukewarm and we just kind of spit it out and it's not very tasteful to us. The image is stronger than that. It's vomiting. Uh, it's a way of God saying, it makes me sick. <laughs> it makes me sick to my stomach. Uh, this is just totally unacceptable. It's just totally unagreeable. And it causes me to, to get sick. Your behavior is sickening to me. So the reason for the lukewarmness. They have a faulty assessment of themselves. Uh, the Laodiceans 
view themselves as rich, and uh, they certainly were rich in the uh, general usage of that term. They, they were a wealthy city. Laodicea was a notably wealthy city. It was the center of banking for Asia Minor. Uh, so it would uh, have been uh, a trade city. Uh, the populace was indeed wealthy. Uh, that was how they viewed themselves. They viewed themselves as wealthy. They were. And the Laodiceans increased in wealth over time. Revelation 3.17. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. They didn't have any particular need. In A.D. 17... Laodicea, Sardis, and Philadelphia were all severely damaged by an earthquake. Tiberius, the Roman governor, provided the financial assistance for them to rebuild. So as, you know, we have the same thing today in our country. There are a lot of natural catastrophes, and the government steps in, declares a particular area a uh, national disaster area, and uh, money comes in for people to rebuild and, you know, Katrina and all kinds of uh, calamities. Well, the same thing happened in A.D. 17 for Laodicea, Sardis, and, and uh, Philadelphia. But Laodicea became a self-reliant city. Uh, and so I have here this quote from Morris. Laodicea was a self-reliant city. It indeed received help from the government in A.D. 17, but when it was destroyed by the earthquake in A.D. 60, Tacitus could say the city, without any relief from us, recovered by its own resources. So when the city again met a natural catastrophe in A.D. 60 and the government offered to subsidize the rebuilding of Laodicea, they said, thanks, but we don't need your help. Uh, we have plenty of money. We can, we can build this city without governmental help. We have the resources. Uh, we have the savings. Uh, that's the kind of city that it was. It was extremely wealthy. It was extremely prosperous. And so the church itself was extremely wealthy and prosperous and thus did not really see any need for God. Their true condition Revelation 3.17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. A, the Laodiceans were self-deceived. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing, not realizing. Okay, They didn't realize that they were in great need. They did not realize what it was that they were lacking. And so now it describes their need. First of all, they were very needy because they were in distress as opposed to secure. You are wretched. Wretched, uh, many times we think of as miserable, but the idea there is that, that they weren't secure. They, they thought they could handle anything that would come down the line because they had the financial resources to do it. But they were extremely susceptible. Uh, they thought they could stand on their own. They couldn't. They were in, in an unenviable position rather than an enviable position. For it says that they did not realize that you are pitiable. They viewed themselves as 
the elite. They viewed themselves as what everybody would want to be like. But it says they didn't realize that they were in a position really to be pitied, not to be praised, not to be envied, uh, but rather a position to be pitied. They were poor as opposed to rich. And uh, it says, for you are poor. That is void of heavenly treasure. And of course, we know the great verse in the scripture that uh, we are not to lay up ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. So they were rich in earthly things, but they were poverty-stricken in heavenly things. They were blind as opposed to seeing. Uh, they're blind. I'll say more about that in a little later on. And, uh, but uh, they were spiritually uh, insensitive. And they were naked. That is that they were void of righteousness. The application. How sad it is that individuals who are at ease and prosperous are often blind to their spiritual bankruptcy. Uh, people tend to see their need when they are in hardship, when they are in difficulty, when trials come, then people have a tendency to cry out to the Lord. But uh, again, one of the situations that we experience in the United States is that for the most part, people are pretty well-to-do. Uh, people are well-off. Uh, people are told they need a savior. And their response is, from what? From what? What do, what do I need to be saved from? What do I need to be helped with? Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. And this church viewed itself as okay. So two, they are self-confident and say no need of God. But in reality, <clears throat> their need is tremendous. So the remedy to the situation. First, Christ now gives the church some investment advice. They are to purchase from him some valuable spiritual commodities. Uh, I love the, the scripture's play on words. Here is this church. They are the banking uh, head of Asia Minor. They are rich. And it says, let me counsel you. This word to counsel is to give financial advice. <laughs> uh, let me tell you about real riches. Let me tell you about what you should be investing in. Let me tell you about your portfolio and what's lacking in your portfolio. So, here's the investment advice. Now there appears to be an allusion to many of the commodities the Laodicea was known for export, ex, uh, exporting. These are things that people normally came to the city of Laodicea for. Number one, they're to buy gold that is refined so that they would be spiritually wealthy. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Not uh, earthly gold. Again, the uh, head banking of Asia Minor and people went for there to buy and trade gold. It says, buy from me the true gold. Two, they were to buy white precious garments. And white garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may be seen. 
Laodiceans would doubt that they were naked. Their city was famous for its production of textiles, especially cloths and carpets woven from black wool. Thus, commentators observe that Jesus' offer of white clothes probably provides a stark contrast with the notorious black wool of Laodicea. Uh, they were known for their garments. And in the period of time, the most uh, costly garment would have been the darkest garments. They had to be dyed. And they had this natural black wool. And so they prided themselves in their black wool garments. And Jesus says, buy from me white garments. Of course, referring to the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the need to cover their nakedness. Nakedness here is spiritual nakedness. They were without righteousness. They were without acceptance before God. But they were blind to that nakedness. Uh, they didn't see it. And they thought they were fine in their black clothes. Revelation 7.13 then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to them, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's what they needed. Robes that had been washed in the blood of the Lamb, but they didn't have them. And they were to buy salve for their spiritual blindness and salve to anoint your eyes so that they may see. They may also experience surprise that they need Jesus to supply them spiritual eye salve. Ancient sources report a first century medical school located in Laodicea. Ear ointment made there, a famous eye doctor practicing there, and eye salve made of a Phrygian powder, probably abundantly available there. So all of these things speak to specific situations that were unique to Laodicea. Uh, that's where people went to get healed of their blindness. Uh, they had this medicinal uh, medication. The symbol uh, of the serpent and the uh, staff that is a part of medical profession today originated in this particular city. Uh, it goes all the way back to their practice of medicine. And so they prided themselves uh, in uh, their ability to, to deal with eye situations. And Jesus says, but you're blind. You don't see you need. You don't realize where you are. Number six, Christ's rebuke is a token of his love for them. Those whom I love, I reprove in discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Christ's invitation. Christ is seeking entrance into their lives. Verse 20, probably one of the best known verses in the book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. So that's the, the uh, seeking entrance into their lives. Christ is extending the promise of fellowship with them. I will come into them and eat with them. And he with me. 
the feasting together is a very prominent theme in the book of Revelation. This, this eating together, the feeding, the marriage supper of the Lamb, etc. Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write, this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage of the Lamb. Here we see this invitation, this invitation to be a part of this marriage supper, this invitation to receive Christ and enjoy the linen garments that are put on. Number eight, the promise of reward for the faithful. Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. So as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This aspect of conquering uh, comes up in almost every church. And uh, this morning I alluded to uh, Romans 8 that says, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And I didn't bring that to its full conclusion when this morning I alluded to Job and talked about the sufferings and hardships that Job encountered. And the reason for those sufferings or hardship was to demonstrate uh, the reality of Job's righteousness. Uh, if you remember in the book of Job, uh, Job is more righteous than anyone on the face of the earth, and uh, God brings that up to Satan, and Satan says the only reason that he is faithful to you is because you have guarded him and you have given him all these things. But take them away from you, and he will curse you to your face. The conquering is not that it means that we will always overcome in the sense that we're always going to be victorious. In Romans, it talks about those who have given their life. The conquering is that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The conquering is that no one can pluck us out of his hand. The conquering is that Job not only did not deny God, but he ended up worshiping God. He declared and said, before I heard you with the hearing of my ears, but now my eye sees you. And I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And he worshiped God. That conquering is that we rise above all of the outward circumstances, the persecution, whatever it may be, and we stand faithful in our worship of God. That's when we have conquered. That's when we have conquered our afflictions. That's when we've conquered our enemies. When we worship God in spite of all of the issues that we are encountering. The universal call to repent. We have this in each of the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear 
Revelation 3.22. 2.11, he who has an ear, let him hear. Revelation 2.17, he who has an ear, let him hear. Revelation 2.29, who has an ear, let him hear. Revelation 3.6, he who has an ear, let him hear. Revelation 3.13, he who has an ear, let him hear. So these applications are to be made by all of us. And so the point is, if anyone is lukewarm tonight, let him hear. Listen to the witness of the faithful and the true. Uh, and parents, grandparents, listen to the word of God. Sometimes we take solace in the fact that, well, at least our, our children are here. <laughs> maybe they haven't made a profession of faith, and maybe they're not all that interested in the things of God, but at least they're here. Well, let me just say tonight, and I am glad for everyone that's here tonight. Don't get me wrong. But if you're here tonight and you never, ever trusted in Christ, you are in the most perilous of all conditions. For you have heard. You know. And that apathy, that indifference, God cannot tolerate. God does not accept. He doesn't say, well, at least they're lukewarm. <laughs> no. No. He says, of all things, being lukewarm is the worst. Uh, as we think about the church in America, and we say, well, at least people are going to church. But if they aren't going to a church where the gospel is presented and where people have come to place their faith in Christ and they are evidencing a transformation of their life, that is not pleasing to God. In fact, it is destructive to our corporate witness. And ultimately, it actually displeases God. And if those people don't come to faith, indeed, they will be vomited out. Uh, but the ones who hear, the ones who worship, the ones who are sincere, the ones who are hot, indeed, are going to live and reign with Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us, and I pray if there's anyone here tonight who is indifferent to the things of God, maybe they have heard time and time again about the gospel and have just said, well, you know, I don't need that. Uh, they feel pretty secure in themselves. They're happy with their life. They're content with where they are. And uh, inwardly they're saying, I don't need this. Uh, there's nothing here for me. Oh, God, may you grant eyes to see. May you grant ears to hear. May you open up their hearts and minds to the gospel and to the truth. May they see, as it were, Christ standing at the door of their heart, knocking and inviting them to have a relationship with him, to be able to eat with him, to sit down with him, to be a part of that great marriage feast of the Lamb. Lord, I, I pray if there's anyone here tonight who needs Christ, that they would come to place their faith and trust in him. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're here tonight and you don't know Christ, uh, I would love to speak with you uh, at your convenience. Lord bless, you are dismissed. <laughs>